you know exalting someone or putting someone in a high position or in a high place or lifting someone up in your life how is that related to breeding worms hello and welcome to the gospel lens podcast i'm your host kevin and this is episode 11 If this is your first time here this is a place where I explore important questions and all things theology through the gospel lens. So recently I've just been thinking about the word exalt and what it means to exalt God. And exalt really is a worship word, right? Because we use this word so many times in songs and worship songs and praises that we sing whether it's in church or elsewhere. So it's almost like when you hear the word exalt you immediately think of music you immediately think of praise you know some of you you know might have said or oh, the immediate reaction to this word is okay exalt means to praise god exalt is to you know give him thanks and you know give him glory and honor and yeah it sort of is but there's so much more to what it means to exalt god and surprisingly enough at least to my surprise When I was just looking into this the word exalt both in the Hebrew and the Greek it really is repeated a lot of times in the Bible especially in the Old Testament and I think that's a lot to do with the fact that David and the psalmist um you know they just keep reiterating on this fact that you need to exalt God so what does it mean what does it mean to exalt God In order to understand that we need to understand what exalt means right what are the words that are used to describe exalt we read it in english but the hebrew and the greek words what do they really mean and when we dig deep we really see that it means much more than we actually think it does so just bear with me as i go into a little bit of detail and technical aspects of hebrew and greek but i'll assure you that you'll be baffled So in Psalms 34 verse 3 you see David saying O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together So in Hebrew the word for exalt that is used is rum So that is spelled in English phonetically as R U M but it's pronounced as rum right and this is the interesting part Now this word rum which means to exalt and this is the word that is used in the hebrew language or in other words that is seen in the old testament there is something more interesting to this and for this we need to understand the hebrew language a bit there's something called as stem formation in other words verb stem formation so a stem formation is nothing but the way in which a word is formed that describes the type of verbal action so a word will be a verb right like come go run eat but in hebrew there is a type to that verbal action so it's not just a verb a verb is not just a verb in hebrew but there are types of verbal actions in hebrew so one of those types is peel p i e l i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but it's one of those types of verbal stem formations and when a verb in hebrew is in pl that means the type of verbal action is intensive so it's an intensive action so whatever action it is it's extremely intense like it's super intense 
the highest degree or the highest depth or the highest magnitude so when you see a hebrew word with a pl stem formation you know that that action that verb is really intense and that the person writing it or the person who is used that word is purposely doing it because he wants to convey a very intense form of that verb so that's a beautiful part of the hebrew language so the reason why i'm saying this is because rum is in the pl formation so rum is a word verb right that is exalting god or exalting god is a verb so rum is in the pl formation so that means it's intensive and the word rum in itself means and this is i mean as most of you might already know it means to put something or someone in a high rank or position rum means to put something or someone in a high rank or position now we know that is a verb but we also know that this verb room is in the pl form and we know that the pl form refers to an intensive form of verbal action so it's not just putting someone in a high rank or high position but to put someone or something in the highest rank or highest position so on a, in other words right when we say or when david is saying exalt the lord or when we tell you know we need to exalt god or when we sing this you know let's exalt god let us magnify his name you know we are we need to be careful because it is very very intense stuff because when the authors of the bible asks us to exalt god he is asking or the authors are asking us to put god in the highest position or highest rank possible period that's why it's important to understand that the hebrew word room is not in an ordinary verb form it is in the pl word form which means it's intensive it's really really you know in depth it has to be like the highest superlative of that verbal action so it means that god or christ has to be in the highest position or highest rank possible in your life so if you were to rank the different priorities in your life or people in your life or things in your life is christ the highest rank possible or to even stretch it further if christ is ranked number 1 if right if he is ranked number 1 he should be so far ahead of rank 2 and 3 that it's not even a competition right that's what the word means right again i'm i'm just reminding uh reminding us of the fact that it's the intensive form of the verbal action so christ has to be the highest rank and highest position or in other words you know you could also say that no one but jesus or no one but god should achieve a higher position in your life no one but god should achieve a higher rank or a higher position in your life and even when he does he needs to be way clear of the second and third rank it it should be a close competition that's what the word room or exalt means so now when we look at our lives i mean i don't know about you but it's certainly not true in my life it's so incredible yet so scary and yet so shows us how much of a pathetic failure we are because we have been created to exalt god but 
we fail every second of the day to put him in the rank that he deserves, which is rank number one. But this gets interesting, right? This gets even more interesting. Again, I want to stick to the word and the root form of the word. So, so Kame Bentora, who is a Jewish studies expert and a, and a scholar in Hebrew language, uh, who knows his stuff, uh, has written this article that I found interesting, and he's doing this exposition of the very same word room, which is to exalt. And he says something very interesting, right? He says, or what he's saying, or what he's stating is that the word room, when it was formed ages ago, it has its roots, right? The word room in itself has its roots in various other words, or rather it's borrowed certain words from other countries or languages. So it actually, um, the word room has a loan word from the Middle Egyptian, which is used for worms that are breeding. So the word room, right, it's root formation. When the, when the word was formed, it borrowed a word from the Middle Egyptian word, which means worms that are breeding, right? So somewhere in the root meaning of room, which essentially, especially in the Bible means to exalt, somewhere in its root meaning or origins, it means or it's taken from the Egyptian word, which means breeding worms or worms that are breeding. Now, what what does that mean? Like the how what kind of correlation is, you know, exalting someone or putting someone in a high position or in a high place or lifting someone up in your life? How is that related to breeding worms? Right. And this is what um, came Bentora says. Right. So he says in worms in ancient times were not prized as they are today, right? And that you got into your drinking water, that the worms got into drinking water or used to enter the feet and legs of the people during the Egyptian time. So when people used to walk around the Nile, when they used to walk around the rivers and the irrigation ditches, worms used to get into their feet and into the drinking water. And they would crawl through the skin and into the blood system and they used to lay eggs. So in other words, they would get into the feet or somehow into the body of the Egyptians and they would breed eggs in the body of the host. So they were parasites. They were literally parasites. right? And they would cause a lot of damage to the internal organs, sometimes even blindness and even sometimes death. So that's why the Egyptians used to wear a eye paint not for makeup purposes, but because they believed it would ward off the infection or the worms that was inside the body. So this was how, you know, ancient times or medieval times was that, you know, worms used to get into people's bodies and it used to really, um, you know, cause havoc, parasites, basically. And this, this whole process is the root meaning of room. So the origin of the word room exalt, you know, has to do with worms getting into the bodies of people and laying eggs. So what does a parasite have to do with exalting God? This is what he says. He says that when David is saying, let us exalt the Lord together, he's saying, like the worm, let's infiltrate the Lord and breed in him. Because the worms found nourishment and strength in the host body. So whatever body the worms got into, the reason why the worms went into the body or the host was to get nourishment and food for themselves. Yes, it caused havoc to the person or the victim, 
but that's why they went into the body the worms went to the body but what it implies is that okay you have room which means to exalt but it's taking its origin from this this meaning of worms infiltrating into the bodies of human beings how does it relate to exalting it simply means that just like how worms infiltrate into the bodies of human beings and find themselves as a host and find nourishment in that when we exalt god in other words exalting god is to infiltrate into the presence of god and find our contentment our joy our hope and everything and our fullness in christ now we are not just a bunch of worms right we're not trying we're not a bunch of worms but essentially what the implication is is that we are trying or when we exalt god and we put him in a high rank or position we are entering into his presence and we're finding a nourishment and a fullness and a joy and a contentment in christ so the word room which means to exalt we know means to put someone or something in a high rank or position but its root origin shows us that just like how worms used to infiltrate into the bodies or the host of a human being and you know find food from that body the same way we are to infiltrate into god's presence we are to stay in that presence dwell in that presence and find everything that we need from christ and christ alone so obviously right if jesus is your number one if he is your first rank in everything if he is taking the highest position in your life whether it is your time whether it is sorrow whether it is sin whether it is backsliding whether it is um you know mounts of depression whatever comes your way you're always going to go to the person who's number one who's rank one for a solution and when we talk about the greatest problem that we have is the problem of sin he is the one who solved it right christ is one who solved it through his death and resurrection so the question is really do we really exalt god right do we really put him as number one rank in our lives and it's such a difficult thing or a scary thing to introspect and ask ourselves because the answer is at least for me not really i fail every single day right when you wake up and if the first thing you do is not to exalt god what well, how would that look like when you wake up the first thing you should do is go to god but rather what i do really is look at my phone check notifications i'm already committing idolatry i'm already worshiping something else i'm already finding my solace and my comfort and starting my day off with something which is a creature and i'm not starting off with the creator right when my time is not given to the one who's number 1 who's rank 1 i'm not exalting him whoever is getting that time the maximum of my time whether it's a person or or a thing like a career your job your ambitions that thing or a person or your career is your rank one you're exalting that so essentially not exalting god is idolatry not exalting god would mean that you exalt something else not exalting god would mean that something else is number one something else is sitting on the throne of your heart something else is occupying the 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 place and the position of the king of your heart it's it's not christ it's either your job it's either your career it's either relationships or people 
is either uncertainties of your future and what people think about you and man's acceptance and validation. Um, it's it's devising sinful things to find pleasure in the things of the world, whether it's lust, um, you know, pride, man's praise. It can be anything. So the next question would naturally be, why should I exalt God? So now we, we've seen what it means to exalt God. But why should I fulfill the definition of exaltation as we've seen in the Old Testament with the Hebrew word and the entire biblical doctrine? Why should I exalt God? See, the problem is we think that, you know, exalting God is something that we we have to want, right? It has to be a want inside of us to exalt God. But that's not how it works. You see, true exaltation is when we exalt the object of exaltation, not because we want to, but because we have to. So in this case, the object of exaltation is God. So we exalt God, not because we want to exalt God, but because we have to exalt God. It's as simple as that. Now, what's the difference? You see, I'm, I'm using the word have. And when you use the word have, you're implying that there's an obligation in the part of, you know, the exalter, the one who's exalting. So I have to exalt God basically means that I am obligated to exalt God. In other words, the object of exaltation deserves to be exalted. So God deserves to be exalted, deserves to be praised and deserves to be worshipped. That's why when you say, okay, I want to exalt God, I want to fulfill this meaning of exaltation, I want to exalt Christ, but I don't know how. See, you're only going to truly be able to exalt God when it turns from a want to an obligation, when you realize that, no, 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 I have to exalt him. There is no other option because he deserves exaltation. He deserves praise because, to simply put it, and as we see in, in, in scripture, God is worthy. He is worthy of the exaltation. Now, then the question would be, I mean, what would happen if I don't exalt God? See, God deserves to be exalted. He's worthy to be exalted. So he's self-sufficient. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. You know, he is perfect in every sense of that word. So he deserves to be exalted. And you see, the, the issue is this. And this is the principle behind why we have to exalt that which needs to be exalted or that which deserves to be exalted. The principle is as simple as this. When we change the habitat of an entity and place it where it does not belong, it will surely and indefinitely lead to disorder and chaos. So how is this related to exalting God and why he deserves to be exalted? And why if we don't exalt the one who deserves to be exalted, it's problematic? Let me give you a few examples, right? So the universe, right? Every component of the universe is very finely placed, right? There is a reason behind its position and it's very accurately and specifically placed in its position and any change in that position and, you know, changing the component and putting it somewhere where it does not belong will cause utter chaos and disorder in the larger, you know, scheme of things when we talk about the universe. So in the same way, like, for example, you, you you talk about, you know, when you're doing a puzzle, when you're doing a puzzle and you have to put a piece into one of the empty slots. If you put a piece that does not belong there, 
even one piece, the entire puzzle will be disorderly, right? It's not going to fit. Even if it's one piece put in a empty slot that it does not belong, where it does not belong, the entire puzzle is going to be disordered. You take a fish out of the water and put it on land, it's going to lead to chaos because the fish belongs in the water. That's how it's been designed. That's how it's being fine-tuned. So if we change the position of the entity, in this case the fish, and place it where it does not belong, it's going to cause chaos, right? If you take a wild animal and just let it out in the middle of the city, it's going to cause chaos because that's not where it belongs. You're changing the position of a fine-tuned entity in the larger scheme of the universe or the larger, you know, cosmic, you know, paradigm. So that is the principle we need to remember that when we change the position of something or an entity and place it where it does not belong, it will lead to chaos and disorder. So when we place our praise, when we place our worship, when we place our respect and adoration on our careers, on man's praise, on jobs, on money, on possessions, on status, on people, on relationships, on acceptance, on anything that belongs in this world and anything which is created, it is going to lead to chaos and disorder because that is not where our praise and our worship and our adoration belongs. Because where our praise and adoration, man's praise, adoration and attention really belongs is upon his creator. So you place it anywhere else than on God, on the throne of God, or at the, the feet of his throne, you place it anywhere else except God, it is going to lead to chaos. And that is literally a great way to describe human history. Human history is the account of man just placing his entire will and adoration and praise onto everything else except God. That's what human history is. And all these things is not where our adoration and devotion should be because that's not where it belongs. Because our will and our devotion and commitment and our submission is designed to be placed, is finely tuned and accurately designed to be placed on the creator. So you place it anywhere else, it's just not going to work. It just doesn't fit. Just like putting a fish out of water, it will just not work. Just like putting the wrong piece of the puzzle in the wrong slot, it's just not going to work. You will logically, you know, cause chaos. And that's the same thing, that God is the one who deserves this praise. And if we don't exalt him, we, if we don't exalt the one who deserves exaltation, and we exalt everything else that does not deserve it, and go against the natural order of things, and the design of man. Because what is man designed for? Man was designed to have communion with the creator. And that fell apart because of a sin. So... You know, it's an example that I always give. It's like, if I use a spanner to hammer a nail into the wall, I'm just being foolish. I'm just changing the position of an entity and placing it where it does not belong. No, I don't use a spanner to hammer a nail into the wall. That's not what the spanner is designed for. 
So the same way human beings are designed to have communion with God, human beings are specifically designed to exalt God and God alone. And when we do everything else outside of that, it will lead to chaos. It will lead to a fallen world. And the reason why we exalt everything else except God who deserves and is worthy of this exaltation is simply because of our depravity and our sin. So that is why we need to exalt God, why we need to fulfill its definition, which means to put God in the highest rank possible and infiltrate into his presence and find our nourishment, nourishment, our contentment, our fulfillment and satisfaction in the one who is grace upon grace and only Christ can complete us. So the question is, do you exalt God? What stops you from exalting God? How can I exalt God? And if you truly want to reach a state of an exultant heart, where you truly realize that I have to exalt this supreme, supernatural, necessary, all-powerful being, it's always the same answer. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the cross. And you will find your answer there. And you will naturally have a heart that exalts the one who saved you from your sin and from the wrath of the Father, which is Christ. That's it from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing. And if it was, please, please, please do share it with your friends and family and follow the Gospel Lens Instagram handle. Also, there is a number in the description which you can save to get notified of the latest episodes as well. Thank you for listening and God bless.